the risen Christ gave us some things to do. Don't you like having something to do? It's boring with nothing to do. The risen Christ gave us some things to do and things to do throughout our lives. We're thinking about Senior Adult Sunday today and got a few things about Senior Adults I'd like to share with you. may not be true of all of you, but it's probably true of some of you or some of us. <laughs> Here's some thoughts on Senior Adult Years. Going out is good. Coming home is better. The things you used to care to do, you don't care to do anymore. But you really do care that you don't care to do them anymore. <laughs> you miss the days when everything worked with an on-off switch. Bob Hope said, you know you're getting older when the candles cost more than the cake. Elizabeth Aston said, it is a sadness of growing older that we lose our ardent appreciation of what is new and different and difficult. You used to be told you were good looking. Now you're told that you're looking good. <laughs> Ann Landers said, at age 20, we worry about what others think of us. At age 30, we don't care what others think of us. At age 60, we realize they hadn't been thinking about us at all. Children are a great comfort in old age, and they help us get there faster. <laughs> and my favorite's what Bernard Baruch said, I will never be an old man. To me, old age is always 15 years older than I am. Amen. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to Psalm 92. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15. It talks about bearing fruit. The psalmist said, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is in verse 14, first part of that verse, they will still bear fruit. That means we're meant to bear fruit all along. As believers, God wants us to be bearing fruit. That's what Jesus was talking about in, in John chapter 15. He reminded us that all of us are to bear fruit. We're to be fruitful for Him, for the glory of God. Now, notice something else. Verse 12, the righteous will flourish. Now, we need to understand something. We need to understand who the righteous are. So let's look at that just a moment and explore that just a few moments. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Guess what? Our righteousness, our own efforts at righteousness, amounts to nothing before God. We're unclean and we can't produce anything clean. We're unrighteous and we can't produce anything righteous. Paul picked up on this idea, expanded upon it, explained very well. He said, therefore no one will be declared righteous in the sight, in God's sight, by observing the law. We can't be good enough to be made righteous in God's sight. 
Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The Old Testament reminds us of the things God doesn't want us to do that we've done, the, the way in which we've broken His law. We become conscious that we are sinners. But he goes on to say, and this is in Romans 3, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now that spells it out really clearly. How we become righteous. We can't do anything to earn righteousness. We can't obey the Old Testament laws and become righteous. But how does it come? It comes by belief in Christ Jesus. We put our faith in Christ Jesus. God sent a new kind of righteousness. A righteousness that is bound up in Christ and with Christ. When He died on the cross, He paid the price for our sins. When He shed His blood that covers all of the wrong that we've ever done, He makes us righteous. The righteous are the ones who have believed in Jesus, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, ask Him to forgive them, uh, Him of their sins. And God has done that, and He has made them righteous. Paul, again, had this idea when he said that he wanted to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is through faith. We look for that righteousness that is from God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust Jesus, when we start to follow Jesus, we are made righteous. So, in 2 Corinthians, we have this explained well for us. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when he's talking about the righteous here, he is talking about those of us who have righteousness from God because we've accepted Jesus. So that's who the righteous people are. They're the people who have accepted Christ and received God's forgiveness and God's righteousness. So he says there in verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. God wants us as his righteous people to flourish. And he used two different trees that were trees that were thought of in Old Testament times of trees of solidarity, of strength, of something that was going to last a while. He talked about the palm tree. He's probably talked about the date palm tree. Grows 90 feet tall. Lives a long time. Can withstand drought. You know, it's just, just a, one that is exemplifies strength, solidarity, lasting and then he talked about the cedar. The cedar is an evergreen tree, again, signifying life. It's a tree that, you know, isn't bothered much by the weather. It isn't bothered much by insects. So it makes a good wood for building. Remember that Solomon built the Old Testament temple with cedar? And then that cedar was covered with other things? It, it lasts. <laughs> Strength and lasting, flourishing, painting a picture for us. So, how can we flourish? No matter what our age, 
How can we flourish? Well, we take care of our body. Take care of our body. If we're the righteous, we've received Jesus into our lives, that means our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're to take care of it. We're to, you know, keep it in shape. We're to exercise it. We're to feed it properly. Now, we, we take care of our bodies. We take care of our minds. Now, we have to be careful what we put in our minds. In the book of Romans, Paul told us about that. He said in Romans chapter 12, and this is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's, God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformed by the renewing of our minds, continuing to grow, continuing to learn. When I was in high school, I ran track. And we came to the state track meet one year. It was held over at the USC. And we got to go into the field house that they had on campus then. And they had a sign that the athletes would see whenever they were coming out of the field house. It said, when you're through learning, you're through. Pretty good advice. No. We don't stop learning. We keep growing. We take care of our spirit. You know, it's easy to get a pessimistic spirit. It's easy to let bitterness take root in our lives and grow and, you know, kind of strangle our spirit. Keep those things out. Keep it focused where it needs to be. And then we need to be planted in the right place. Did you know that it says there in verse 13, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of God. We keep ourselves planted in Christ. Again, going back to John chapter 15. Jesus said that we, he said, remain in me and I will remain in you. We put ourselves in Christ. We are planted in Christ. We dwell in Christ. We reside in Christ. He is where we are. We keep ourselves in the right place. And that's in Christ Jesus. So God wants us to flourish. And He wants us to flourish so that we can bear fruit. Now, how do you bear fruit? We bear fruit by being pruned. Again, listen to what Jesus said here in John 15. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. If you've got a grapevine, you know anything about you know, growing grapes, you know that the grapevine has to be pruned back. All of those you know, new you know, little vines that come out, they've got to be pruned back. And so, you know, if you see a, a, a grape vineyard, you know, late in the winter, and people are taking care of it like they're supposed to, you don't see much. It's <laughs> mainly the main vine that has been pruned back almost to nothing. That's because the grapes are formed on the new shoots. And so God prunes us so that we can be fruitful for Him. Now, good idea of what's going on is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Uses a little bit different analogy, but the same thought. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off every sin, prune it out of our lives, 
throw off all hindrances. Prune those out of, our, out of your lives so that you could be fruitful. Use another analogy with you. When we moved from the parsonage in Newberry, which was a big house, we moved into our own home in Irmo, which wasn't nearly as big as that parsonage because it was a big house. So we had to downsize. So before we moved, we, you know, threw out a lot of trash, we got recycled a lot of stuff, we had a yard sale, we gave to Goodwill and to other places, and then we moved. And guess what? We still didn't have enough room. So we threw out some more and we recycled some more and we had another yard sale and we gave away some more. You know, got rid of some of that stuff, pruned it out of our lives. Why? Well, if we had tried to put all that stuff in our house, we'd just cramped our living quarters. And then we would have had to spend all of our time taking care of stuff instead of enjoying relationships and serving the Lord. It happens to us easily, doesn't it? We can get our lives so cluttered with the wrong things, or maybe things that aren't even wrong, just things, that we're not serving the Lord. We're not being fruitful for Him. So we need pruning. Maybe we need to prune out some bitterness, prune out gossip, prune out selfishness, prune out resentment, prune out an unforgiving spirit. Maybe prune out some of the stuff we have. Maybe prune out some of our interests and activities because we spend so much time with those things, we don't have any more time for Jesus and what He wants us to do. Did you notice what the Scripture says? It said, my Father's the gardener. He's the one that does the pruning. So we need to go to Him and say, Lord, Show me what's excess baggage in my life. And Lord, take it out. Because I want to be fruitful for you. So if you're going to be fruitful, you must be pruned. And if you're going to be fruitful, then the life of Jesus must flow through you. Just like you cannot be righteous on your own, you need the righteousness of God. Neither can you be fruitful in the kingdom of God on your own. You need the power of Christ in your life. Remember what Jesus said? Here in verse 4 of chapter 15, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now listen to this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and let me remain in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. The key there, remaining in Jesus. Staying in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, living close to Jesus, following Jesus. You bear fruit by letting Christ live in you and bear fruit through you. Now that's part of what's meant by Jesus telling us you've got to die to yourself so that He can live in you and so that He can live through you. We're to bear fruit. Well, what's the fruit you're supposed to bear? Well, you're supposed to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in our lives. He begins to produce some kind of fruits in our lives. And Paul listed them in Galatians 5. Love. God loved us. He loved us so much He gave His Son for us. He loved, put His love within us with His Holy Spirit. We are constrained by His love. We become a channel of His love so that we're filled up to overflowing with His love and it overflows to others. We bear the fruit of love. We bear the fruit of joy. We can be joyful. Why? God's taken care of our past. 
He's forgiven us of our sins. We could be joyful. God has secured our future. We get to live with Him forever in heaven. We could be joyful. No matter what we're going through, we are not alone. I am with you always, Jesus said. We've got His presence day by day. Even in the midst of struggle and sadness and sorrow, we could still have joy. Love, joy, peace. We can have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we've got that inner peace, then we start striving to have peace in all of our other relationships. As much as it lies within you, the Scripture says, live in peace with each other. We strive for that peace. Patience. Oh, hadn't I been patient with us? He's been patient with me. And he's been patient with you too. Because there's been a lot of times I fell far short. And he'd help me up and give me back on the right track and give me another chance. He's patient with us. We need to be patient with others. Kindness. Life's rough. We don't know what others go through. We need to be kind to them. Goodness. Striving to go against the grain of the world so that we aren't trying to be like everybody else, so that we're trying to live to please our Heavenly Father and show forth His goodness and His greatness. So we turn away from all the sins that we're enticed to and we seek to exemplify goodness with our lives. Faithfulness. Jesus set the example for us with faithfulness. He was faithful to God. Prayed in the garden, not my will but yours be done, and then he went to the cross. He was faithful even though it cost him. Faithful. Faithfulness is to be a part of our lives, even when it costs us to keep our commitments. Faithfulness. Gentleness. No. Showing people grace and mercy because we've been shown grace and mercy because you know, life hurts. We don't need to make it hurt anymore. We need to help. Self-control. We don't let the world control us. We don't let Satan control us. We don't let our own emotions control us. We let God control us. Our self-control is really spirit-controlled here. So that the Spirit of God enables us to be self-controlled. So we produce in our lives, no matter what stage of life we're in, the fruit of the Spirit. We produce another kind of fruit. We produce the fruit of righteousness. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul talks about this. He says, Fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're to have the fruit of righteousness in our lives. What is that? Well, that's holiness. We're set aside for God. We're living for His purposes, not our purposes. We're striving to be a holy people, good, upright, Loyal, holy before God, has to do with prayer. If we pray, we pray for our family, we pray for church members, we pray for our church, we pray for the pastor, we pray for missionaries, we pray. Well, we just, you know, keep them in our prayers. If you look at verse 9 in Philippians 1, he tells us what to pray. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. You pray that for each other? 
You should. Remember we exchanged prayer cards here. Great, great ministry. And it's been my habit since being your transitional pastor to suggest some passage of Scripture to take those verses and look at them and pray them for one another. What better can we do when we're praying for others than to pray what the Bible shows as an example for prayer? So Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is a good thing to pray for one another. We, we pray for each other. That's part of our righteousness to pray for each other. We serve those in need. We respond to the people who have needs around us. And singly or corporately through other organizations or through the things we do as a church, we try to meet people in need. If we're going to be righteous, we serve in the church. A lot of work has to be done to keep a church going. A lot of work has to be done to keep the ministry of the church alive and relevant and meeting the needs of church members and the people outside the church. We're willing to serve. We're to place our place. And then we give. We give to support the church and God's work in the world. Second Corinthians, Paul reminds us of this. He said, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You enlarge the harvest of your righteousness when you give so that more of the Lord's work can be done. The fruit of righteousness. And then the fruit of other Christians. We are to produce other Christians. Believers are to produce believers. And so... We try to lead our children to faith in Christ, or our grandchildren to faith in Christ, or our co-workers, or our friends, or our neighbors. You know, we want to somehow or other produce other Christians. And a lot of it is just by sharing what God has done for us. Do you notice what this psalm said in verse 15? It said, proclaiming the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. A lot of people need to know those very things. A lot of people will see God as sort of cruel and evil and blame him for all the suffering in the world. We need to say, hmm, that hasn't been our experience. God's been good to us. He's shown himself upright to me. He has been my rock. He's got me through the difficult times. I can lean on Him. He's always been there. He's my security. He's my strength. He's my rock. We just share what God has meant to us. And that helps produce other believers. And we're to do that as individual believers, and we're to be striving to do that as a church. Joy and I watch HGTV sometimes. And one of the programs on that channel is called Extreme Homes. And people will take some building that wasn't ever built to be meant for a home and turn it into a home. And we've, you know, they've seen them take grain silos, you know, and the people are living in a round house, and uh, take old fire stations, take, you know, uh, just different things you wouldn't think of, a, a caboose off a train, turn it into a home. Now, you don't have much square foot in that, but somebody was making it work. Every now and then, you see someone has taken an old church building and turned it into a home. And most of the ones, a couple of the ones we've seen, it's been, you know, a couple. And they've got a big building like this, and, you know, that's their house. Boy, they got a lot of square feet. But when I see that, I always wonder, you know, what happened to the church that used to meet in that building? Program never tells. 
but I think I know. It comes back to what Jesus said in John 15. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That church quit abiding in Christ. It quit being fruitful for the Lord. And so it just went out of existence. You know, that happens to churches. A church must live in Christ and let Christ live in it, or it ceases to exist. A church must bear the fruit of believers, or it will cease to exist. We've got to be fruitful, folks. Now, we're to share the good news. We're to share the good news around us. We're to share the good news around the world. You know, Annie Armstrong, East Rolfing, we would give to that, you know, help to spread the news through North America. Lottie Moon, we give to that, help spread the good news around the world. Suppose you were called to be a missionary. And you went to a foreign country, and their culture was very different than our culture. How would you go about spreading the good news? Would you use something that would be effective in our culture, or would you use something that would be effective in their culture? Well, that's an easy answer. You'll use what's going to be effective in their culture. Our culture might not fit their culture. Might not get anywhere in their culture. If we're going to be effective right around us, we've got to meet people where they are. We've got to be able to share with them in a way in which they will be able to understand. And so we've got to realize that things change, that things are not the same as they once were. They're different. You know, this church was established in 1955. And the church fit in well with that culture then. And it grew, and it grew, and it grew. But we've got to realize something today. It's not 1955 anymore. And it's not 1965 anymore. And it's not 1975 anymore. And it's not 1985 anymore. And it's not 1995 anymore. And it's not even 2005 anymore. Things have changed. People, you know, the way in which we use church building, the way we worship, the, the music, things have changed. All of it hasn't changed. A lot of it's changed. The way we communicate has really changed. You know, most of us had never thought of a computer in 1995. Just barely beginning to think of them in 1985. But look what's done by the connected world today. Things have changed. And we've got to do, we've got to reach out in a way that meets the needs of our culture. Now, understand something. That doesn't mean compromising the gospel. And that doesn't mean changing the essence of who we are as the people of God here at Holland Avenue Baptist Church. When Joy and I came to this church, we were really impressed with four things. We were impressed by your friendliness, we were impressed by your devotion to the Word of God and wanted it to be, have you know, doctrinally sound preaching and doctrinally sound teaching. We were impressed by your prayer life and your prayer ministry. You know, I, I, when John was praying this morning, did you notice in his prayer? He said, we love you, Lord. And I have heard so many of you pray, Lord, we love you. And that is just so beautiful.
It's just wonderful. We've been impressed with your prayer life. We've been impressed with your willingness to simulate people and say, yeah, come on and be a part of us. You can be part of our family. That is our essence. That is how God has shaped this church down through the years. You don't get rid of that. You don't change that. Not at all. But you try to reach out in a way to people that will connect with them today. And it may be different from how it connected in years past. If I were to ask you, who's the greatest missionary the world's ever known? I bet a fair number of you would say the Apostle Paul. He won people to the Lord. He planted churches all over the Roman world. He wrote part of the New Testament. You know, we still go back to his writings. He was a fantastic missionary. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Now, Paul would not compromise the gospel. Paul, in essence, says anybody who preaches the gospel different from one that I preach, whether it's man or angel, is cursed, ought to be thrown into hell. He wouldn't compromise the gospel. He wouldn't compromise the essence of the faith. But he would do what it took to reach those who were different from him. He did it for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the Christ. And that's what we've got to do as well. So, we're to bear fruit for the Lord. We're to bear fruit for the Lord when we're a child and come to know the Lord, when we're a teen, when we're a young adult, when we're a median adult, when we're a senior adult. We're to stay bearing fruit for the Lord. That's what He wants us to do. How do we do that? Know that you can flourish and be fruitful throughout your life. God can keep on using you. Huh. Remember what we said a while ago? It's boring to do nothing. Isn't it good you don't have to sit around being bored? You can be doing something for the Lord and serving Him throughout life. We serve when we stay in His courts. We stay among the people of the Lord. When we stay connected to Christ, praying, reading His Word, following His Word, be obedient to what He says. We stay connected to Him and proclaiming the good news about God in Christ because people need to know that God loves them and He's concerned about them and He will give them the same gift of eternal life that He gave to us. We just need to share. Maybe today, you've come to realize that, hey, I can't be righteous enough to please God and I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I'm condemned. And so you've come to the place you realize you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He rose again. Maybe today 
you would come and say, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior. Maybe today you would come and say, Lord, I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful, Lord. Prune out of my life what doesn't belong there. Give me that desire to reach out to others. Help me help this church be what you want it to be so that it's effective in reaching out. Maybe you would come today and say, I want to be a member of this church. I've been impressed with the love and with the devotion and with the acceptance and with the friendliness and with the prayers and with the, the, the believing that they're standing on the Word of God. You would come and put your membership here. How is God leading you today? Respond to Him. So we sing our hymn of invitation, which is number 380.